Good evening. How blessed we are to have Andrew. He does a tremendous job. We appreciate him so much. If you're visiting with us, thank you for being with us. You being here is an encouragement to us, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles to Isaiah, the 58th chapter, we'll spend just a a few moments there, and we'll look at several passages tonight. Isaiah 58 will not be on the screen, but many of the other passages we'll look at tonight will be on the screen. We have had a tremendous weekend, and and that's because of God's blessings and because so many individuals are willing to make themselves servants to bless the lives of so many others. Saturday morning, there were more than 60 fruit baskets made up. We appreciate the stalwarts, uh, John and Jamie, their leadership in this, but so many others helped also in this. We appreciate each one of you that went out and spread some generosity and love around our surrounding community and around our congregation Saturday and distributing those. Also, Hollis and Myrna McKinley did a, a tremendous job again hosting our, one of our holiday parties that we have. And um, it's just a lot of fun. They do a tremendous job. It's obvious they put a lot of work into it, and we appreciate so much what they do. And uh, there's usually a guest each year. Uh, no disrespect to Grandma, but she has ugly legs. And um, if you don't know what I mean by that, you need to come one year to the party, and you'll see exactly what I mean about that. We appreciate... Uh, The Kiffs hosting the Widow and Widower's Luncheon today. They had everything prepared to a tea. The food was delicious. The gifts that were given. uh, Santa Claus even passed through. There's just an awesome awesome Sunday, an awesome lunch. Uh, We appreciate those that are making the Newcomers Fellowship uh, gathering after services this evening available. We appreciate each one that's participating in that. If you are a newcomer, of course... We want you to be there. We look forward to having you. Also, we appreciate the Bradshaws having uh, opening their home and allowing folks to come over last night. And there were many class parties and many groups caroling this weekend. And the list could go on and on. God has blessed us richly. Let's make sure that we take advantage of the opportunities to grow. And really, that's what the topic of fasting is all about. It's not about the absence of food. It's about the opportunity for each one of us to make a decision to grow. As we go to the next slide, we see a reminder of things that we covered this morning. And that is that fasting is to abstain from food or something good to obtain something better. It's creating a hunger for God more than anything else. I want to challenge you in your life. If you had to do without a meal a day in order to study the Word of God, would you eat the physical food or would you eat the spiritual food? If you knew that someone was in the hospital and really needed a visit and the only time you could visit them would be lunch hour, would you be willing to sacrifice a physical lunch to do a spiritual deed? As we begin this evening, I want to ask you something that... Let's be honest with ourselves, because we're not going to help ourselves grow if we can't be honest with ourselves. Do you see yourself as a body that houses a soul, or do you see yourself as a soul that has a body? You see, for all that would see themselves as a body that has a soul, they're going to have a hard time placing spiritual things higher than the physical things. 
But for all that realize that the greatest responsibility we have is to a spiritual God that has created us, breathed into us the breath of life, the soul, and that is what will go on for eternity. And it just so happens that God created us on this earth so that our soul would have a temporary home. And it's not to be placed first. Please understand, God doesn't want us to abuse our body. To fast is not to create physical harm to the body. And let's make sure we're real clear about that. To fast is to put the spiritual before the physical. If you have physical ailments that would become complicated because of fasting, I don't think God would want you to do that. But to do without a meal would not hurt most of us here. And to do without three meals wouldn't, or six meals, or nine meals, or 21 meals. Doctors do not recommend that you fast without drinking or eating for more than three days. But to drink and fast from food can be done for many, many days with no physical complications for healthy individuals. But again, I emphasize to you, It's not about can we do without food or drink for a few days. It is about something much deeper, to try to acquire something much greater in our life. Tonight, we look at Isaiah, the 58th chapter. And if you want to go back and study this chapter more during the week, what we see in the first paragraph or two of Isaiah, the 58th chapter, is that something wasn't going good about the fast that they were taking place, taking part in. As a matter of fact, coming out of the end of verse 3, he says, in fact, in the day of your fast, and I want you to note, there he calls it your fast. In the day of your fast, you find pleasure and you exploit all your labors. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. So what is he saying there? The bottom line is they had created many fasts that God had not commanded. We see through Jewish tradition that they required much fasting. They took and spoke it as if it were the Word of God, and in fact, it was not the Word of God. You remember in the New Testament where the publican was praying and also the Pharisee was praying? And you remember what the Pharisee said he did twice a week? Remember he said, I fast twice a week? You see, he was honoring some of the traditions that their fathers had placed upon them that God had not placed upon them. What's interesting is when we look back in the Old Testament, the Day of Atonement, was the only fast that God commanded that should be taken part of on a regular basis. Once a year, God wanted that fast to be made. Coming over into the New Covenant, we're not told a set time that any fast should have to take place. We don't read that an individual must fast on this day, or on this occasion, or really even in this way. So what we discuss tonight is something that's in one sense, is very personal. On the other hand, we see leaders asking others to participate with them, but I think it would be just that. It would be leaders asking others to participate with them. And so tonight, we're not trying to, to lay down some kind of legislation that God does not teach. Absolutely not. But let's do look at the topic 
and say, why did people do it? It just seems from Moses' day all the way through the New Testament, godly people expected to fast. There tended to be an approach to the topic that there were tremendous benefits. Do you have any problem reminding to eat? Most of us don't because we like it and there are benefits from it and etc. What if we learned that we could like fasting? We could like to, to we could learn to like the many benefits that might come from it. Well, tonight, let's look at why. And we'll look from Old Testament to New Testament, reminding that the Old Testament is not the law that we live under, but it does serve as an example and as teaching. And so let's look to simply learn why did God's children fast. As we consider this, let's begin in Psalm 69, verse 10. 69 and verse 10. I don't want to approach this lesson in a rushing fashion, but at the same time, we'll have to move on pretty steady to see the things that we hope to cover tonight about why individuals fast. So we will not develop every aspect of the passages we're going to. We'll develop primarily the reason the individuals were fasting. In Psalms, we read the 69th chapter in verse 10. Before we get to verse 10, in verse 1, he said, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. Have you ever felt like you were up to your neck in troubles? That's not a new expression, that's an old expression of speech, all the way back to Psalms. What did he do when he thought things were completely wrong and he was about to drown in the sorrow of trouble? In verse 10 he says, when I wept and I chastened my soul, how did he do it? How did he correct his soul? How did he get his soul lined up? How did he sit down and say, soul, you need to get yourself back in order? How did he do it? He said, I did it with fasting That became my reproach. And if we read two verses down, he would say, But as for me, my prayer is to you. So we see a time of trouble. And the man wanted to prepare himself to pray to God as he should in this time of trouble. How did he discipline himself? How did he deny himself? It was through fasting. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny self, take up his cross and follow me. Fasting throughout the scriptures is one of the activities of self-denial. We read this morning from 1 Corinthians the ninth chapter where Paul said, I discipline my body. I think all of us would readily admit that fasting requires tremendous discipline. Also, we learn not only is it a way of self-denial, but go with me, if you will, to Joel, the first chapter, or read the screen above. Joel, the first chapter. And let's see also that it was a way that Joel and Judah showed their sorrow for sin. When we read in this passage, we see that if we go back to the first part of the chapter in verse 4, there were locusts. And listen to this. This is a terrible plague that has come through this area. First there came chewing locusts, and whatever was left, the swarming locusts came in to eat. And whatever they left, the crawling locusts came in to eat. And whatever they left, the consuming locusts devoured the rest of it. And so the the scene that's painted here is, is the idea that everything's barren. Swarm after swarm after swarm of locusts have come through and there's nothing left. 
they want God's blessing again. They've realized they've brought tremendous heartache in their life because of their sin. And they want to show God that they are serious about turning away from their sin. So it's in this setting that we read Joel, the first chapter in verse 14, he says, consecrate a fast. That means to dedicate, to purify, to holler. So in other words, he says, we're going to have a fast. Well, why are we fasting? To to lose weight? To to make people think we're spiritual-minded? No. It's not about the appearance towards others. It's not about some other motives. He says, we're going to set this aside to be a very holy thing. And he says, call a sacred assembly, gather the elders, all the inhabitants of the land, the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. Going down to the second chapter, he says in verse 12, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all of your heart. How is God going to ask these people that now are saying, we're willing to repent? How does God want them to do that? He says, with fasting and with weeping. Here we see them crying out to God through their heart that is sorrow for sin. And they've proved it by their tears and by their fasting. I want to challenge you. If you are struggling overcoming a sin in your life, if there's that nagging sin that you just can't seem to to submit yourself in that way to God, will you make a commitment right now to your God that you will fast and you will pray deep, fervent prayers to God over this matter? I believe... That when an individual fasts, it helps that individual turn themselves more wholly to God, placing spiritual things above physical things. And when that heart is pouring out petition to God, what a difference that can make to cry out for His power. Let's go back to Psalms 35 now. Psalms 35, and let's see a third reason why the Scriptures tell us that individuals were praying. Psalms 35 and verse 13. A lot of hardship has surrounded uh, the psalmist at this point. A lot of enemies have surrounded, and we read this. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting. Now, it can't be said much clearer than that, can it? Ask the psalmist, how did you keep yourself humble? Enemies were trying to overcome you, and and you could have, out of pride and boastfulness, just conquered that enemy, but you knew it wasn't right. How did you keep yourself back and so humble in the sight of God? He says, I had to do it through fasting. Do you, do you suffer with pride and arrogance? Do you suffer with putting your will above God's will? Maybe fasting is an exercise of humility that we need to participate in. Maybe that would bring back a, a... Maybe that would strengthen the discipline in our life as we practice that exercise of discipline itself that brings us to humility. Let's go to Esther, the fourth chapter. If... 
Uh, many of you ladies, I'm sure, have studied Esther inside and out. It's a tremendous story. Recently, on a Wednesday night, our men's class spent several weeks studying Esther. And it was interesting, various comments that I would hear either during or after class where men would say, that's an awesome book. I want to go back and read it more. The story of Esther is just a tremendous story. We don't have time to develop the story right now, but you remember she was being petitioned to go and stand before the king, and there was a huge decision that she had to make. You see, no one was allowed to come before the king unless they had the king's invitation. If the person came without the invitation and the king did not lift his golden scepter, that person was immediately executed. And so the question would be, would she go, even though she hadn't been before the king in 30 days, would she go and stand before the king without the invitation? And would she be able to do something that would spare the life of the whole Jewish nation? She had some serious decisions that had to be made. And she needed strength to carry out the tremendous work that was at hand that was her responsibility. Let's read this. In the fourth chapter, in verse 16, Go gather all the Jews. This is what she's saying. Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Remember this morning we talked about that in a way you can look at fasting as, as being horizontal or vertical. At this point she's saying, I want others to fast. And what's going to be on their mind? I want what I have to decide to do to be on their mind. I want other people not only praying for me, I want other people fasting for me, she says. Now we read on. My maids and I will fast likewise. She's not going to ask them to do something that she's not willing to do. And so with her, her fast is going to be what I would think of as vertical. She's going to fast petitioning God. She knows she needs God's blessing. And she says, And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. What a tremendous story there. When we have times of serious decisions in our life, we see Old Testament examples of maybe what we need to do during that time is fast and pray. And it wouldn't be a bad idea to ask other people to fast and pray for us during that time also. Let's back up now to 2 Chronicles, the 20th chapter. 2 Chronicles, the 20th chapter. And we're going to read here about Jehoshaphat. And he was leading Judah... But enemies were ready to destroy them. Powerful enemies. It, it looked, if you looked at it just from man's perspective, there was going to be no hope. But yet, he believed that God could protect them physically when no one else could. And so, he makes this petition here. Uh, the 20th chapter, we'll read verse 3 and verse 4. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. Notice that phrase. And proclaimed a fast. Notice that phrase, throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered together, now notice this phrase, to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. Three things stand out as powerful to me as, as we try to understand why would people fast. Here, they wanted to seek the Lord. They're not looking as much for guidance here as they are God's protection. God, we have an enemy. He's much, they're much greater than we are. You're going to have to do something for us if we're going to survive. God, we're seeking you during this time in our life. Well, how are they going to seek the Lord? Well, first they're going to prepare themselves to seek the Lord. How are they going to prepare themselves? By fasting. And notice what they did in verse 4. Then they asked help from the Lord. 
as I study fasting, it becomes obvious that fasting is a way to prepare the person to have the right heart and the right discipline to make the petition to God. Let's see a sixth thing. Let's go over to Jonah. And let's study Jonah the third chapter. And we'll read uh, verses 5 through 9 here. Now you remember probably the story of Jonah. You remember he was told to go to Nineveh. Instead he went to Tarsus. Then he was thrown over the boat and into the belly of the well. Then as he was thrown out of there, he decided then to go to Nineveh. And he preached. And you remember what happened. The people were ready to repent. How was this repentance called out to all of the people? They wanted to survive. They did not want God to destroy them. And so we see a spiritual revival being asked, being sought. And one of the means by which it was being approached was that of fasting. The third chapter, let's begin reading in verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and set in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh day, uh, by the decree of the king and his noble saying. Now this is a very unusual fast, even in the scriptures here. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, Taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. See, sometimes in the Scriptures it's a fast from food. Sometimes it's from fast of food and drink. And here, not only is it of food and drink, but it's also of animals and the humans. And of course, the fast went on and it was successful. God spared them. Friends, can you imagine? They wanted spiritual renewal. What was it worth to them? I know there's probably a side of all of us that says, well, I just don't understand why it was important for the sheep not to have supper that night. I don't understand it fully either. But I know as we look throughout the Bible, there was a discipline about fasting that God's people always believed would accomplish greater things than what they were giving up. It was giving up the physical to accomplish something much greater from the spiritual. Let's look now in Matthew, the 16th chapter, and we're going to touch on this one very quick, the next two or three, because they're things that we touched on this morning, but we need to at least see them as we consider why fast. You remember in the 16th, 17th, and 18th verse of Matthew, the 6th chapter, we learned this morning as we study this together that if we fast to be seen of men, that we have our reward right then. But if we fast because of our relationship with God, notice how verse 18 ends, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So one reason here that we learn to fast is because God is going to bestow great blessings upon us. If we fast from the wrong motive, we'll miss some of those blessings. But if we fast from the right motive, God is going to offer something that He would not otherwise offer. Friends, I think that's exactly what this verse is teaching. And so I have to stop and ask myself, how many blessings have I missed in life because I didn't fast 
at the opportunities that God may have given me to fast. We also see another time of fasting. It's in Acts, and we read it this morning, Acts the 13th chapter. And it was when Saul and Barnabas were being sent from Antioch. And before they sent, those missionaries were sent out, you remember, they were gathering there to fast and pray. And then they laid hands upon them and sent them on their way. We go to Acts, the 14th chapter, and we see a ninth reason, and it too is one that we looked at this morning. And it was at the end of the first missionary journey, elders were appointed, and those elders were commended to God. And the way those elders were commended to God, in verse 23, was with pray, they prayed with fasting. Now, let's look at two more as we bring this lesson to a close, that are in the New Testament that we did not look at this morning. If you will look with me to Matthew the 17th chapter. Matthew the 17th chapter. The, uh, we see at the beginning of this chapter, the mountain of transfiguration. The tremendous things that took place on that mountain. While just a few of the apostles were up in the mountain with Jesus, other apostles were down in the valley and they were trying to do Christ's work. But a man had brought his son that had seizures to them and they thought that they would be able to cast the demon out of that man as no doubt they might have done in the past. They definitely had seen Jesus do it in the past. But yet they were not able to do it. And let's see why. And I want you to think about as we read this. If they could not perform miracles because they had not fasted and prayed, what is it that maybe we're not able to perform in service of God because of fasting and praying? Now, I understand that the days of, of men working miracles in, in this way are completely over. But I'm simply trying to, to, to bring out a parallel application. If they couldn't do what they could have done because they would not fast and pray, what have we hindered ourselves from doing if we have not fasted and prayed? And so we read beginning in verse 19, The disciples came to Jesus privately, because by the way, Jesus cast out the demon. And afterwards, the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Jesus made it very clear that there was a service in the New Testament uh, church in the first century that apostles could accomplish if they fasted and prayed that they could not accomplish if they had not fasted and prayed. Perhaps the same is true today that we can do greater things for God if we fast and pray. Acts the 10th chapter will be the final. Acts the 10th chapter, we also see that it was a time of conversion. It's a beautiful story where Cornelius sins. He wants... He, or, he sends for Peter to come. He wants to learn more of Jesus Christ. And as we read this story, and by the way, we will make full circle from the very first passage we looked at this morning to where we end here. And, and this is just an interesting sideline. You remember this morning when we started out in Matthew, the sixth chapter, we talked about in that sixth chapter, it talked about when you give your alms deeds. And it talked about when you pray. And then it talked about when you fast. It's interesting that Cornelius was doing all three of those, and so God heard his cry. Here's how we read it. 
We're in the 10th chapter, and we're going to begin reading at verse 30 and read 30 and 31. So Cornelius said, he's explaining to Peter how all this happened. Four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. And you probably know the rest of that story. Peter not only preached to him that day, but to all those Gentiles that Cornelius had gathered around, and they became Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. They were saved. Their life was right with God. And we say, how did that time of of transition take place in their life? Well, one of the reasons it took place in their life was because here was a man that fasted, he prayed, and he was a generous giver. Those are the things that bless our lives. There are a lot of reasons that individuals chose to fast throughout the Bible. As we think about 50 days of emphasizing prayer, let's not forget that there is something that's used in conjunction with prayer all throughout the Bible. It's that of sacrificing physical things to obtain something greater spiritually. It's a way to deny self. It's a way to show sorrow for sin. It's a way that is a sign of humility. It's a way that we can approach serious decisions. It is a way that we can have physical deliverance and spiritual revival. It is a way that we make ourselves available for God's blessings or God's rewards. It's a way to send out missionaries. It's a way to commend elders. It is a way to say, I'm ready for your service, God. I believe that I can do greater things for you if I depend upon you in prayer and fasting. And as we have just read, it is a tremendous way to make transitions in our life. I hope and pray that today has been a benefit for us as we study from God's Word a topic that's not easy, but a topic that no doubt would be a blessing to our lives. As we consider 2005, what will be your consideration of fasting? As you consider difficult times in your lives and challenges to overcome, will you approach it with everything that God gives you to approach that? including that of fasting. Tonight, as we extend this song of invitation, is your life right with God? See, there's not really much reason to fast or to pray if we're not willing to fully submit to God. Tonight, if you need to be baptized into Christ or if you need to be restored, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.